This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's up, everyone, and welcome to the FIFA America podcast. I'm your host, Jake in London, joined by Tom, as always, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Ryan in Kaiserslautern, Germany. And today we're talking about some incredible breaking news from last night about Daryl Dike's uh, transfer move to West Bromwich Albion for a reported $9.5 million, and Pepe joining Augsburg on a surprise move, which is reported to be up to $20 million that Augsburg is spending. And make sure to stick around as Ryan has some exclusive updates from sources surrounding Miles Robinson and some offers that might be on the table for the MLS Defender. We'll end the episode with our bold predictions for 2022, and things might get a little bit crazy there because we haven't told each other what our bold predictions are. And guys, you may have heard me say welcome to the FIFA America podcast. Yanks Go Talking is now being fully absorbed into the FIFA America network, and with that comes a name change to the FIFA America podcast. Tom and Ryan will be making more appearances in more than just the podcast, and so we felt this was the right change to help the channel and the podcast grow. So before we get into the amazing transfer news, we also need to talk about Pulisic starting and scoring for Chelsea. Let's check in on our co-hosts. Tom, what's going on? How are you? Doing okay. Um, been a very sort of weird week. I've been in quasi-isolation. My sister and mother both tested positive for COVID uh, the day after Christmas, and so none of us have been able to leave the house, even though I'm the last one standing who hasn't tested positive. So <laughs> hopefully that holds. Nice. What about you, Ryan? Staying safe? Yeah, man. Uh, you know, obviously the the restrictions and everything put forth by uh, the government here is a little bit more restrictive than it is in the States. Uh, you know, for us, you, you got to everywhere you go into a restaurant or gas station, grocery store, anything like that, you got to have a mask on and they're, they're checking COVID cards pretty much everywhere you go. So yeah, able to stay safe out here, even though numbers still are on the rise quite a bit. Um, so make of that at what you will of the restrictions that we do have in place. Uh, but besides that, just enjoyed the new year. Uh, unfortunately, Germany, again, for a second year, did not allow any sort of fireworks uh, on New Year. But luckily, my neighbors had some old stashes from the year before. Uh, so nothing will get your heart rate going, like lighting a firework that's been sitting around for a year, hoping it doesn't, <laughs> you know, go off, go off when it, in an untimely manner. Uh, so, well, yeah, man. Glad you're still here. Yep. All <laughs> fingers and toes are accounted for. We're doing okay. Uh, and yeah, man, just uh, enjoy the New Year's with the neighbors. Um, you know, just just lucky to be a part of such an amazing community out here in Germany. Uh, I live like in a little cul-de-sac, so it's been really cool to see how everyone's just kind of accepted us in as you know part of the group. And yeah, just enjoyed a great New Year's. How was how was yours? Yeah, pretty low key. I think that's what most of us did. Just had two friends over that have we had both just flown back from the U.S. So. Took, took a lot of rapid tests in the last few days and all were negative. So, yeah, we just had two friends over. We told them before that we were old people and we were going to go to sleep before midnight. But <laughs> lo and behold, obviously, drank a little bit, played some charades, stayed up past midnight. It was a good night. Um, but, yeah, Bundesliga is back next week. Some of the, the more European base players are going to be back in action. So that's great to see. But the, the league that is in action still through this period is the Premier League. And we finally saw Christian Pulisic. We're recording this about 30 minutes after the game has ended. Chelsea versus Liverpool drew 2-2. And Pulisic scored the tying goal for Chelsea. Guys, what did you make of Pulisic's performance? It seemed to be very up and down depending on how Chelsea was playing and Pulisic's confidence. So maybe, Tom, I saw some of your tweets go out. Uh, what did you make of Pool Six performance? Um, I thought it was rough in the first half, like really, really rough in the first half. Before you know, obviously scoring the goal and turning it around completely in the second half, he had a very oh, gifted chance on a silver platter about nine minutes into the game that he completely botched. That should have been a goal. 
after that, he sort of looked shaky, couldn't find his footing, didn't seem to be making the right runs or connecting with his teammates at all. Then, you know, has a spectacular finish and goes on to be the most dangerous player for Chelsea in the second half. Even after being moved back to right wing back, the attack completely flowed through him. He was by far the more dangerous player of hudson Adoy and Mount. So, you know, a mixed performance. I'm glad to see him get a goal. I think it really changed his confidence. You could see him playing with a lot more passion, a lot more uh, confidence and skill in that second half after, you know, finally breaking the drought. Yeah. I didn't think it was the easiest chance in the first half when, when the ball fell to his feet. But Ryan, what did you think of his performance? So it's interesting, you know, people praise Mane for basically doing the exact same thing, just pulling it off a couple of minutes later. Uh, he did it to Cotoir in the semifinals of Champions League last year, kind of similar situation where he's dribbling around the goalie. So, you know, it's something that's, you know, in his locker. And I think it's something he's definitely capable of in that position. Sure. He, he could have pulled the trigger and probably gone near post. It looked like it, it was open off for the keeper. Got to give a little bit of credit there. And I, I will agree, though, you know, a couple of bad first touches kind of got caught in between two players defensively on the first Liverpool goal. But I, I you know, that's that's a team when you're defending as Chelsea does. I'm not going to put it on Pulisic for the first goal. And I'm not saying Tom is either, but I'm not going to put that on Pulisic when you're passing the ball around 40 yards outside your box. And, yeah, Pulisic stuck between two Liverpool players. Um, I, I do think, though, it speaks to Christian's mindset to he's just a true professional and he's ruthless. That goal he scored, if if Mount scores that goal, Chelsea Twitter is going oh shit. <laughs> like, yeah. but instead, since it's Pulisic, everyone's like, oh, okay, well, I guess it's all right. Like to chest it down, half volley, weak foot, and to keep that under the bar is really hard to not sky yeah. that thing over the top. So it's same finish you just it's it's just an epitome of Christian Pulisic you know he's, he's had a couple of ups and downs but when you see those moments when it all come together it's it's and he is a, a very consistent player but if he could just level up just a little bit more that puts him on like the the world-class level yeah um, so a, yeah go ahead it, it seems he's a very confidence-based player and I feel like the consistency is kind of based on how confident he is we've seen in other portions of his career where whether it was the restart last year or other times at Chelsea when he's gotten to a few goals in a few games and he's just a completely different player that is unplayable on his day when he's playing confidently like he was in the second half. Um, but every time it gets to that point, he gets injured and it kind of resets his form and his confidence. So hopefully, again, he can he can continue to stay healthy, start to build up his form. And maybe that's perfect timing going into the World Cup qualifying window that we have at the end of this month. Mm. I'll note that this is actually three goals in five games for him at his natural position. He hasn't played at his natural position in months, but when he's played there this year, he's been really dangerous. So seeing him get a chance to get another run out and score again just shows you what a quality player he can be. And unfortunately, Chelsea's system relies so heavily on their wingbacks and on that sort of hold-up striker, and they don't have either of those right now. So... It also speaks to the confidence of Thomas Tuchel in Pulisic that he's being thrown into those sort of very important spots for the team to sort of be an emergency fill-in player. Hudson Adoy didn't go there at the end of the game. It was Pulisic who was chosen to go back there and have that defensive responsibility and basically lead the attack going forward. So speaks to sort of the quality of player he is and how much Pulisic or how much Tuchel trusts him. So what I'm hearing Tom saying is you heard it here first. Junior Dest to Chelsea, they need a right wing back. It's happening. Because <laughs> if they if they have Dest at right wing back, that puts Pulisic up at left wing and all is right in the world. It, honestly, it's being reported. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> Pulisic at left wing back and Dest at right wing back would be a extremely dangerous Chelsea team when they're healthy. You do you mean left wing or do you mean left wing back? Left wing back. I, I think that if you if they they Marcus Alonso's terrible. We know that they don't have a replacement for him. And Reese James is out for two months. If you, you know, have healthy wingers like Hudson Adoy and Werner and you have to move Pulisic back, Destin Pulisic would be extremely dangerous as wingbacks. Yeah, but you just said that this is his third goal in five games as natural position. Why why take him out of that natural position, Tom? I mean, yes, play him in his natural position too, but I don't feel like it's likely that 
Chelsea's going to develop great winger wing backs anytime soon. They're going to have to play emergency players there, and it seems likely that Pulisic will be selected to play that position. Yeah, even because if it's just for two seen. months. Yeah, even it's if it's true. just until Reese James comes back and Des can move over to the left, there there's going to be times where they're going to need wing backs, and a Des Pulisic combo wing back would be. It would be class. pretty filthy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of skill. Not not a ton of defense <laughs> in those wing backs, though. <laughs> um, all right. So we, we talked about Pulisic. He's obviously our starting left wing on any given day for the U.S. And the striker that is at the top of that formation is now Ricardo Pepe. The, the player from FC Dallas has come out on top of the World Cup qualifying window to save the U.S. and score a few goals against CONCACAF competition. And now immediately upon the transfer window opening up, although we, we knew we had to confirm that he had a, a verbal agreement with Wolfsburg in the Bundesliga, here comes Augsburg with up to $20 million as a transfer fee to scoop him up. Pepe is on his way to do the medical as we speak to Augsburg. Ryan, just talk us through like what happened there. So, yeah, like you said, there was the verbal agreement in place. Everything was looking like it was Wolfsburg along the way. You never heard Augsburg mentioned. So I really think that this was clearly way out of left field. And I think we're learning a lot more about kind of where it came from. Really interesting to see that kind of where some of the money behind this comes from. Uh, Gentleman David Blitzer, who's an American investor and minority owner with the club, Blitzer is connected to Bolt International Holdings, who has a 45% stake in Hoffman uh, Hoffman Investor, and they help run kind of the soccer side of their investments. So I think he's really the one that's putting his money where his mouth is. Yeah, no pun intended. He was the one that came in last minute and was willing to put 16 million euro on the line to bring over Ricardo Pepe. And that really wasn't anywhere in the plans or in no one was really discussing it or tracking it. So totally out of left field, uh, I, there's a whole lot of implications and so many things that comes along with this that is just incredible. Uh, I think one of the most important things is January, the January window. You know, we've got a lot of guys that aren't going to be getting minutes and thank God Pepe at least is going to be training with a Bundesliga squad for at least two to three weeks before that camp comes up. So that's huge. Uh, it'll help keep him sharp. Uh, but, you know, regardless of where the money comes from, people are talking about if Bayern had, you know, a role in it. But from everything I'm seeing that, you know, there's there's no truth to that rumor. Uh, I think it was all just David Blitzer trying to help get some to Augsburg. So really impressive for him to come in late. And no matter where the money comes from, I don't really care. Just the fact that it's not Wolfsburg. He's going to Augsburg. He's going to get minutes. They're going to be be in a little bit of a relegation battle up top. Later, we can talk about kind of where he'll fit into their lineup and the competition he'll be going up against. But overall, pumped. I, I did not see this coming. I don't think anyone was tracking it, but I don't think we could have hoped for kind of a, a better situation given what we were looking at with him going to Wolfsburg. Yeah, and Tom, you did some research as well on their striker core. Just give us a rundown of like what this actually looks like for Pepe. What's the benefit in him going to Augsburg? Yeah, so this actually is a really beneficial thing in my opinion. So I actually did some deep dives into stats for Augsburg this year. Uh, Just a quick snapshot of it. They've created 21 big chances. They've missed 18 big chances. They have averaged 3.6 shots on target per match, and they're minus 2.7 in their expected goals to goals differential. So their team that creates chances has a solid midfield and defense, but has been fairly poor in finishing up top. I think they're third lowest in the Bundesliga in scoring right now. So they're a team that they get a solid ruthless finisher. They could start to move up the table really fast. And that's sort of what we expect Pepe to be able to do for them. He's also not facing the most stiff competition. They have four or five strikers right now, but a couple of them are aging out. Players like Finn Bogason are not really at the top of their game anymore. A couple are also injured. Uh, and it doesn't really seem to be a lot of competition for them for really great minutes right now. So I expect given this fee, given Pepe's quality as a finisher, that he's going to go in, slot in immediately into the starting lineup. And if he gets on a tear, they could really shoot up the table fast. Cause this is not a Bremen type situation for me at all. 
Yeah, I'm I'm not really worried about the relegation fight for Augsburg. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people are saying, well, they're one point above the relegation line. I also want to point out that they're only nine points away from Europe. The Bundesliga <laughs> table is very condensed in the middle. So a few wins here and there, and Augsburg is right back in the fight. Um, also, just some notable performances from this team already this season. They've beaten Bayern. They've tied Leipzig. So they have quality on their team to to play with the big boys. And like you said, Tom, it just seems like it's the goal um, the goal productivity that's stopping them from really moving up the table. So I think this is a benefit to kind of all sides to get Pepe in there. Yeah. And it's amazing the value that they're placing on Ricardo Pepe. I think that's one thing that is shocking me more than anything. Like this is, depending on the fee being reported and people are reporting different things right now, it's either the second or third highest transfer ever out of MLS and the highest one by for an American by far shattering the record set by Daryl DK on the same day. So, yeah. And I kind of want to talk about that a little bit, actually the, I, and it's great for Pepe. I'm never going to hate on it. Get as much money as you can, man. But I have concerns about how MLS is going to react to the rest of it. You know, we're going to talk about a couple players later, but this was a very unique situation for, for the price tag to be what it was, you know, for the other players, if you're looking at the Cade Cowles or, you know, we can talk about Caden Clark a little bit. turns out he's going to be staying with New York Red Bull. If you look at uh, Jesus Ferreira, like, like um, those guys aren't going to get that kind of transfer fee. And I don't want to see pl young players get stuck in MLS because they're like, well, Pepe got 20 million. We should get 20 million. Like, you know, you have to be selling to an American investor that has the type of money that has a club that needs this position and that they're fighting a little bit of relegation right now and, and are a little bit desperate, kind of need this. So it's very unique. And I just have big concerns that the rest of the MLS is going to start to expect the same thing. I saw one tweet earlier today that said, you know, uh, Miles Robinson, you know, around 15 to 12. Look at how he was the MLS defender of the year. And like, when you see stuff like that, it's just bananas. Like, there's a six year, first of all, there's a seven year age difference between the two. That's massive. Uh, positional difference, massive. Like we all know strikers get the big bucks. Uh, so yeah, I just, I have a little bit, bit of concern about it. Do you guys share that or am I alone in that camp? Um, I don't know. I, I think for some teams, yes, they'll try and do the same thing, but it won't take you very long to be in a situation like Orlando finds themselves in where not only did Daryl DK go for a lot less than they wanted him to, but they lost Chris Mueller on a free because they were unwilling to send him. So if MLS starts holding out on these players and holding out for huge contracts, Americans will just stop signing huge contracts with them and will leave on freeze. So yeah. at some level, they will be forced into doing the right thing eventually because if you want to play for the national team, you have to go to Europe. And these guys are going to get to Europe and don't really care about the record transfer fees. Right. I do feel like it's more uh, like this is going to be more of an issue for players and what they expect they can get as a transfer fee and less about the front office. I think people in the front office are going to stay somewhat realistic as to what the unique parts of the situation made it happen. Um, we, we also talked about er on earlier episodes that FC Dallas owners, the Orlando City owners, they were continually talking up to the transfer window that there was no way that they were selling these players, that there was no way that they were leaving their teams. And I think they got what they want. They essentially drove up the demand for these players and made it so that only the, the most intense, ridiculous fee would be accepted. And we see up to $20 million for Ricardo Pepe, an 18-year-old in one and a half seasons in MLS is being sold to a top division in Europe for $20 million. I mean, that to me is more impressive than the Josie Altador signing from the New York Red Bulls. He was sent to Spain. I think at the time it was around 10 or $12 million. Daryl DK on the same night is going to West Bromwich Albion for almost $10 million. And Tom, you made a good point. If they had just accepted some offers last year for Daryl DK, they could have gotten three or four million dollars more than they're selling him to West Bromwich Albion now. I am happy though. We'll talk about Daryl DK next, but 
I am happy that these are both uh, transfers and not loans. Yes. I'm also very happy mm-hmm. that Pepe is going to a team. Like we talk about 20 million because in the sense that this is an 18 year old for MLS, it's a huge number. If he was being sold to Bayern or Madrid for 20 million, I would say that's great, but it doesn't guarantee him playing time. Mm-hmm. I think when you look at the, the proportion of a team like Augsburg and what their record transfers were before this, I think their record transfer was $11.5 million before this. So to basically double the the record transfer fee for a team in Europe, to me that signals that Ricardo Pepe is stepping into the starting 11 on day one, and they're going to trust him to be the striker of the future. Yeah, I agree. Also, this is a ridiculous fee just on a global stage for any nation. This is puts Pepe as the seventh most valuable U20 player in the world and is the 24th highest fee for a U20 player of all time. Like, this is not just, like, crazy numbers for American nationals and for MLS. These are, we rate Pepe as a world-class youth prospect level of value. Like, this is actually insane. If I read something that if he had committed to Mexico, this would have been the fourth highest transfer fee for a Mexican player ever. So you bring that up, Jake. It, I actually wanted to, to talk about that a little bit too. How do you feel that this impacts dual nationals that are Mexican-Americans that have you know, an opportunity to play for either team? When you see an 18-year-old with you know, a U.S. flag behind his name on transfer market getting this kind of money, and you don't see that kind of money as a right for any of the, the Mexican youth prospects. Yeah. Do you think that this makes its way into their living room a little bit? And those conversations around the dinner table for those guys, all of a sudden you're talking about not only is it where my heart lies, but where does your bank account lie? It's a really good point. And I'll, I'll make one. I, I won't say what's in the mind of these players because sure. I, I hope that their decisions are more based on passion and identity than it is about transfer fees but i will say you can see how much um these teams that are paying these transfer fees are playing to the base of u.s fans i mean the west bromwich albion announcement for daryl dk was him draped in an american flag (laughs) in every single picture um like all of these teams are really hamming it up for the u.s fan base because they know that we are deeply loyal we're deeply passionate about this team and we will probably pay for a jersey we will follow their teams we will watch them on tv we will pay a pay-per-view to to see some game that's a preseason game like we will do that as a fan base and i don't think that goes all into the transfer fee but it does go into the interest and again the demand of those players on the transfer market and although the mexican fan base is again deeply loyal deeply passionate I wouldn't say they're at that same level of kind of tracking every single player that's across the board in Europe, whereas that is true for American fans. What do you think about that, Tom? I I think it does. I think it really goes into this sort of calculation for them that the U.S. fan base is so passionate and the U.S. is frankly the most untapped soccer markets left in the world, where if you can sort of convince people, hey, we have this young American, if you're just getting into soccer... Why not support this team? Why not pick this team to be your like team you're going to be loyal to in Europe? Because there are players who are convincing player people to be more loyal to teams in Europe. Heck, I think Dortmund probably is one of the five most popular American teams, not because everyone in the U.S. knows who Dortmund is, but because they've signed so much American talent over the years that they get all this crazy American exposure, and it's it's done a lot of good business for them. So, yeah, I think this is something that, teams are starting to consider more and more that the American market is something that you can tap into and you can, you know, finance your team off of. Heck, look at what Venezia has done this year. <laughs> They've basically been a fashion club for Americans beyond just signing a bunch of American players, right? <laughs> true. true. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, I think it's important to point out that it's, you know, we're not saying that these guys are just transferring due to the fact that they are American. This is, you know, it's a nuanced conversation. So, so many times people want to make it binary. We're not saying that, just because they're American, they're getting these tags. You know, these guys are young, very talented players. I mean, look at just what Pepe Pepe's done while he's been in qualifying, playing against, you know, some pretty quality talent. I think he's shown that he's ready to, to make that leap. 
20 million dollars uh, that I, I think that is a little bit steep you don't see venezia or anything like that shelling out that kind of cash but you know hey again good on them need to realize that it's not all about signing these players just because they're going to tap the american market it also does speak to the growth of the american player and how much better we're getting on a day-to-day basis yeah completely agree and i i really will not say or consider myself that i'm any type of professional scout but when I watch Ricardo Pepe play, he's one of like two or three youth players that are under 21 for the U.S. that I have like 99% confidence that this player could start in the Champions League in five years. And that list for me is basically Gio Reyna and Ricardo Pepe. Just all of the intangibles for the striker. Like, again, I don't think he's worth 20 million now, but I assume that even if a, a minority investor that's willing to pay this fee is there, you still need to have your scouts and your coach believe that this is a worthy investment. So again, there are a lot of factors. So to tie that question up, Brian, there to, to go into that $20 million fee, right? There are tons of factors, whether that's talent, the situation, anything. If you're a dual national American Mexican player and you want all of the factors to go your way, why wouldn't you pick the team that adds that one X factor True. to your marketability, yeah. to your demand. I mean, yeah. I'm like a walking sign to these teams. <laughs> like I'm wearing a Pulisic jersey <laughs> for Chelsea. <laughs> I just did a live stream for the Chelsea versus Liverpool game. I have two Dortmund Pulisic jerseys. Like we are spending money on these teams. We are paying attention to these teams and they have an opportunity to capture us as lifelong fans by getting these players. Yeah. Now, I don't think the U.S. fan base is as big as people think it is. Like, the diehard U.S. men's national team community is still relatively sp- small as sports communities go in the U.S. So yeah, it's not this huge profit dr- driver. I think, you know, soccer is gaining popularity, but it's not the U.S. men's national team that's driving that. It's the Premier League is and the Champions League that are sort of driving that right now with the U.S. men's national team as being sort of a secondary interest that's sort of riding that popularity wave. So, yes, things are going to get more popular. They're going to make money off a move like this. But it's not going to be this huge thing that they're getting 100 million Americans becoming fans off of. It's, you know, probably a couple million people who are really diehard U.S. men's national team fans, if that. A couple million times 80 bucks for a jersey and (laughs) some TV money? Like, that starts to add up pretty quickly. Yeah. All right, so just to wrap up this Pepe to Augsburg conversation, how, like... Was there anything else that we missed with this Wolfsburg transfer that Pepe was still wavering on? Or did this really just come completely out of nowhere to scoop him up? I mean, from everything that I've been hearing from people that are close to the situation is this was completely out of left field. Uh, (laughs) Like there really hadn't been even any real point of contact with Augsburg uh, until, you know, just a few like a week ago. So for this to really come to fruition is is really it just speaks to the price, how unique the whole situation is, and that I think that should speak to why people should not come to think that this is going to start happening on a regular basis. Yeah, like so this, this was crazy. Basic message is we can be happy about that number, but we shouldn't expect that to be the norm going forward. Right. Yeah. All right, so talking about the norm, let's have that twenty million. <laughs> let's talk about Daryl DK going to West Bromwich Albion for nine point five million dollars, four and a half year contract, and just a few quick points. So West Bromwich Albion's coach at the moment is the same coach that coached Daryl DK at Barnsley last season in the championship, and he's only had great things to say about him. They are currently chasing promotion in the championship, and when I wrote my notes. They were four points behind the automatic promotion spot. But let me take a chance to look at FootMob right now. Um, so yes, they are four points behind Blackburn, who are in second place right now in that automatic promotion spot. So they are in the playoff promotion zone right now. They're chasing automatic promotion. And Daryl DK is, at, by all accounts, going to be the starting striker for West Bromwich Albion going forward as well. Tom, maybe let's start with you here. What do you think about this move? I, okay, so this is going to be a really weird analogy, but 
I, I feel like yes, this is sort let's of. Let's go. <laughs> have you guys seen the movie Twenty Two Jump Street? Yeah, of course. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So if you have, if you're not familiar with the movie, if you're our listeners, Twenty One Jump Street, these two random detectives sort of are chosen to infiltrate a school. They may end up making this huge successful drug bust, and then they get a sequel where they're basically given more researches resources and told do the same thing again, exactly the same way, and be super successful, which ends up happening. This is DK's 22 Jump Street move. That's, that's yes. the best analogy I can come up with. For this that's transfer. so good. It's the same coach, so good. a couple of the same players, the same exact position on the table, but a few more resources. Basically being told, here, do the exact same thing you did last year, just a little bit better. So that's, that's how I feel about it. I'm not sure if it's the greatest thing for his development. It does set him up really well for success. But yeah, I'm really curious to see how this will play out because he's doing the Barnsley thing again and we'll see if he can do it again. Can he repeat it is my big question. At least, at least for me, I'll, I'll let you go quick, Ryan, but at least for me, oh, West Bromwich Albion plays a lot more fluid soccer than Barnsley did. Barnsley, before Daryl DK got there, were actually in the bottom half of the table and he kind of helped to drag them along into the, just squeaking into that playoff promotion um, but here with West Bromwich Albion, they look to be a lot more fluid with their play, a bit more of just really playing to the strengths of the team and not just playing pinball. If you had watched Barnsley play any of the games with Daryl DK last season, it was a very chaotic game. And West Bromwich Albion are, are at least a little bit nicer to watch, a little bit more, more fluid in their attack. Ryan, what do you have to say about this transfer? So my takeaway from it was it's interesting because kind of as you guys touched on a little bit is uh, West Brom is kind of in the reciprocal situation of the of Augsburg. You know, they're one point trying to get into the promotion rather than one point of being away from relegated. So interesting to see a player going into the reciprocal situation and to see that how he can thrive. Uh, you guys kind of already pointed out that, you know, he's going to the same coach that he had at Barnsley. But I think what was interesting, a few quotes from an interview that I think really speak to why Daryl DK had so many minutes. Um, so Ishmael was quoted saying that, I'm delighted that we have completed the transfer of DK. Uh, he, is, he was always our first target and our number one priority. Like that's huge. He also says DK has everything we need from a number nine, from the number nine position. He has energy, strength, and he challenges defenders and scores goals. Like, and that's not window dressing. That's not him trying to hype the fans or anything like that. That's a coach that knows the player that's coming in and someone that can get integrated into the squad. Very well. So as we were talking about a little bit earlier, is if, if Pepe goes right into the starting lineup, to be honest with you, I think DK has a better chance of being in the starting lineup on day one compared to Pepe. Um, you know, there, there is one other striker they have, Colin Robinson, who's a 26-year-old Irish striker. He's got four goals and six assists in 22 matches. But they're not the same striker. Off at, like, they're, they don't play the same style. Uh, Colin Robinson is a little bit smaller. I think he's only like 5'10", uh, is quicker, a little bit more silky on the ball. So if anything, seeing like a tandem with the two of them up top should be, you know, something that will be really interesting to watch because – Robinson has had an opportunity to, you know, get in front of goal and make a difference. So now having, you know, a big bodied striker like DK who will a pull defenders away to create space for a player like Robinson, but you know, Robinson already being the proven entity there could also kind of open up space for Robinson or uh, for DK. So I think the two are going to complement each other very, very well. Uh, so so I, I just think he's going into an absolute thrill that it's a transfer and not alone. Uh, I think this was the only way that, you know, DK was going to get out of there. I was surprised to see Orlando let him go for 9.5, given everything that they were asking for previously. But I think if I'm Daryl DK right now, I cannot be more thrilled with the situation that I'm going into. And, you know, a player with good spirits, good attitude going into a promotion battle, uh, you know, I think he's really going to make the difference for them. And we'll be seeing West Brom in the Premier League next year. He is one of the most likable players on this team. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have followed like his TikTok or his Instagram. Yeah. He, he's always on there, just huge oh, smile on his face, doing something positive and optimistic and, and lovely. Um, so I'm hoping for all the success and, and everything for Daryl DK in the future. Um, you mentioned something about the what the quotes were saying to you from the coach about how much he wanted him on this team to join. 
I want to say one thing about both of these transfers in terms of Daryl DK and Ricardo Pepe. If you're securing a transfer for a player in the first two days of the window being open, that is a team that has made a great offer and absolutely wants you on the team. And the reason that I say that is the longer that the transfer window goes, the more teams can get involved in the bidding process. And it really messes with any of the teams that truly want that player. So it's in the team's best interest to go in with a full price offer, lock in that transfer early on, and not allow any other teams to swoop in like Augsburg did for Pepe. Um, But yeah, if you're signing someone in the first few days of the transfer window being open, that is, to me, always a good sign that the team absolutely wants you there and you're going to be a piece of that team going forward. Yeah. I'm a little concerned about DK's development, though. I do think that the championship plays to his strengths really well and, you know, is why he stood out there so much last year. Is he going to develop the touch and the skill he needs to become take that next step up and to be a, you know, top flight striker? And I really don't know if he's going to sort of get a chance to hone those skills at least this year. If they get promoted, next year might be another story. Or if he does well enough to get sold, next year is also another story. But that's sort of my main concern about this transfer is we already knew Deco is a big, strong, physical guy who can, you know, score goals when he gets the ball. But can he do the other little things right that a striker needs? And we've seen him struggle with with the U.S. men's national team. And I'm not sure if Brom, West Brom's going to be the place for him to really hone those skills. Yeah, I mean, I don't think at 21 years old we're going to see a significant difference in his, you know, first touch or anything like that. I think that's you might see small little increments of it improving, but you know, it's he's not going to have a deft touch all of a sudden out of nowhere. Uh, but I think things he can learn at West Brom is, you know, when to make the right run and to improve his ability to read the game when it's moving faster. I think the, the level is a little bit faster in the championship than it is at MLS. So learning those things, I can't, I think can improve his game for his positioning, his runs, and just reading the game in general can help him level up a little bit, which would make him more of a shoe in as a striker for the U S men's national team. Yeah. I feel like for, for this transfer and obviously we're a USMNT podcast, so we're going to talk about all of these transfers as a singular piece. I think what's striking for me as a fan is that this is a numbers game as we go into the world cup year, as we build out our roster for the world cup, the more strikers that we have getting meaningful minutes in good leagues gives us a better chance to have a striker or strikers that are in form going into the World Cup. So whether that's DK, Pepe, Hoppy, Fox, Sargent, or someone we don't even know about yet that gets hot at the right time and comes in to make a difference for this team, that's all I'm asking for. So yes, I'm happy about Pepe to Augsburg. I'm happy about Daryl DK to West Bromwich Albion in their own rights, but I'm much more happy that as a group of strikers, we're now moving to the next level and giving our guys more time to develop or more opportunity to find that striker. That's going to be our number nine going into the World Cup. Yeah, let's just hope West Brom, though, doesn't end up, you know, kind of Norwich 2.0. That's that's something we've (laughs) got to be a little bit worried about. You know, if DK is the number nine for them and starting on a week-to-week basis, and they're, you know, just not just a a bottom-of-the-barrel team in the Premier League, and he's not getting a lot of service, it could be a little concerning, but if I would see him more, if we're talking about Norwich, he'd be more in the Pookie role. And mm-hmm. realistically, even if we had a striker that was getting 80 minutes a game and still getting some opportunities in front of the goal and putting away a couple of them here and there in the Premier mm-hmm. League, that's fine for me. So it's a little yeah. concerning, you know, just something to think of. But, uh, you know, I think he'll be in a little bit of a different situation. See him getting no service up top for a bottom barrel team in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, and right. you know, oh, good. No, you go, Tom. <laughs> I was just building up your point, Jake. You know, we were talking yesterday, me and my family, about the U.S.'s chance of World Cup success, and it, we've got a solid starting eleven. But you don't win a World Cup with a solid starting eleven. You don't compete in a World Cup with a solid starting eleven. The best teams have solid 23, 30s that they can build out. And if someone's not in form, you have someone you can pull in and really used to compete you'll have always have an informal 11 despite injuries despite everything going on with club situations and the u.s is not quite there yet but what we've seen from today 
really shows you that we're getting closer and we're starting to build out those last few positions we need to have that solid competitive 23, which is what we're trying to do, if not by this World Cup, for sure by next World Cup, which is really an exciting development. Absolutely. Really, really good points. Yeah. All right. So let's move from striker to defense and another player that as fans were hoping to move out of MLS, but it just doesn't look like it's happening. So Ryan, I know you have some contacts that you've been uh, talking with about Miles Robinson and what's happening with that situation. Can you just give us a rundown of if there are offers on the table or what's happening with Miles Robinson in this transfer market? Yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, I've been able to talk to a couple of people that are very close to Miles Robinson's camp. And on very good authority right now, I'm being told that there are two offers on the table from Bundesliga sides for what was deemed a fair price as these people that are that are very close to the situation. Uh, I would say in between, in between 5 to $10 million. Right now at Man United, not even interested in signing that offer. Uh, so this was kind of what I was talking about a little bit earlier with teams seeing a, a price tag like Pepe for $20 million. You know, if you're Arthur, Arthur Blank and you're swimming in money on a nightly basis, you know, holding this kid back, I, I think, you know, obviously his focus is Atlanta United. It's not the, the benefit of Miles Robinson. But when you're hearing from people that are very, again, just very close to the situation pretty much. That these guys are actively trying to move him over to Germany and there are offers from Germany. So it's, it really hurts to see a player that's 24 years old. He turns 25 in March. He's right on that cusp of really like kind of making that last step to where he can go abroad, still get a decent fee. I think if you wait for another year or two, then all of a sudden you, you could be losing money on this type of transfer. Yeah. His, his contract ahead, does run through uh, December of 2023. So from my perspective, I feel like the front office in, in Atlanta United is hoping that Miles Robinson has a great World Cup with the U.S. while still being in MLS. That raises his transfer value. They can get another year out of him at Atlanta United. But I want to hear from Tom because he is an Atlanta United fan. Like, what is the situation with that team and why maybe shouldn't we expect Miles Robinson to leave anytime soon? Yeah, so Atlanta United made a bunch of roster moves that I wasn't expecting them to make that sort of told me that they're not interested in this transfer window at all from Miles Robinson. They came into the transfer to November with five strikers on roster. Anton Walks has been very solid, having been repurchased by Atlanta a few years back. They had uh, Franco, Alan Franco, who they just signed from Argentina to be their DP center back. They had Miles Robinson. George Campbell is their sort of up-and-coming youth, youth center back. And then they had Franco Escobar out on loan, but recalled him from Mexico to rejoin the team. Unfortunately, they immediately failed to protect Anton Walks in the expansion draft, and he went to Charlotte, and then sold Franco Escobar to LAFC for, I think, 500000 So now, instead of having five center backs who are solid, including their MLS Cup winning goal scorer, they have three center backs, one of whom is a youth prospect, and the other one is Miles Robinson. So they are very thin at center back. There's no chatter at all about them signing a top-tier center back from Argentina. So I don't see them being likely to make a move for their MLS Defender of the Year center back right now, given the moves that they've made this offseason. And I think they'll be sort of scouting that next player coming up soon. Unfortunately, the Atlanta United way is not... is to sign these sort of really highly touted players from South America. And it takes a lot of scouting. They've hit they've hit a couple times. They've missed on a bunch. So if they don't hit again, they could really be detrimental to the club. And they're going to really try and go through that process to find the right center black back replacement because that's what they want to do. They want to be that South American development club. But that hurts the homegrowns a lot. And we're seeing Miles Robinson have to play that huge role that I really don't want to see him play. It's time for him to get out. Yeah. I also think... Part of what goes into the the big bucks that are accepted from Daryl DK's camp and Pepe's camp is MLS transfer rules. So for under 22 players that are homegrown players, the club gets to keep 100% of those funds from the transfer fees. Whereas Miles Robinson is 24, he's not a homegrown player. So they would have to split that fee with the MLS single entity. So whatever does come their way, they also have to split that again, instead of getting the full transfer fee. I guess one last question maybe to you, Ryan, is 
since there are already two clubs that have made solid offers for Miles Robinson, do you think that can kind of create any bidding process for the player? Or do you think that because Atlanta United won't sell, Arthur Blank doesn't need the money? It's kind of just dead in the water from the Bundesliga clubs. So I think it kind of speaks a little bit to some of the points Tom's bringing up and some of the points or some of the is people think that transfers are so easy and that there's, you know, just all that takes is two teams to agree and we're good to go. Like there are so many moving parts to every single one of these transfers that all it takes is one little part to not fall into place for these transfers to fall apart. Um, from what I've heard, both teams have put forth their offers and I don't see any sort of bidding war starting. Uh, to be honest, anything, you know, really above 7 million in my mind, Atlanta should be pulling the trigger, no questions asked. Uh, but, you know, right now, as Tom was saying, they're not in a position to do that. That's a detriment to their club. So unfortunately, it could be the kind of situation to where Miles is just going to have to ride it out and not sign another contract with Atlanta. And it would be a shame, though, because he could end up like a Chris Muller and just leaving on a free and coming over to Europe. You know, unfortunately, at that point, he'll be, what, 26-ish years old be in that Jeff Cameron role of coming over at 26, 27 years old and could still you know, have a very impactful career over here in Europe. But right now, just all the pieces are not falling into place. Uh, I think Atlanta's looking at it again from a squad standpoint. Like Tom said, they just don't have it. But hopefully, at least from a front office standpoint, like Boca Negra is not just trying to say like, well, you know, we saw what happened to Pepe. We expect at least $15 million for the MLS Defensive Player of the Year. It, it would just irk me to see them, you know, coming, getting in between a transfer like this just because of an inflated situation where we saw Pepe make so much money. Let's not pretend that Boca Negra is a really great GM either, though. No, yeah, I, I completely agree. <laughs> I think I think he's not great in that position. But Lucky the thing to is, still like, have a job. <laughs> yeah, why? Sure. Why wouldn't we expect the club to do what's in their best interest? Like, yeah. As a USMNT yes. fan, it sucks. But also, if I was the GM, I don't have many center backs. I have this very valuable piece. If I keep him. There's a World Cup coming up where I think he's going to be the starting center back for a team that might have a coming out party and be very popular. Why wouldn't I keep him on the team? And that's a perspective that I probably would have the same perspective if I was trying to build out Atlanta United for the next season. It just sucks as a fan knowing that Europe is in the kind of... They're calling. Yeah, Europe is calling. And unfortunately for Robinson, he developed really late. So he was... He's been in the academy system forever, but he really didn't get his break until he was 21. George Campbell will be set up a little bit better. He's only 19 now, I think, and he's, I think, coming closer to Miles Robinson's level. So I think we'll start to see Atlanta develop better players, but this is just a very unfortunate situation for them, especially given yeah. Alan Franco's uh, thought process that he is Tony Rudiger without any of the offense or defensive capabilities of Tony Rudiger. <laughs> he makes a lot of these charging runs into the midfield that, don't leave them with a whole lot of defensive cover and he didn't have the best year in MLS. So Robinson's very important and the club is going to do what the club has to do, especially given how attack heavy they seem to be. Yeah. All right. Well, appreciate both of your insights on the Miles Robinson situation. We'll see how that develops in the next few episodes as we go along, just to make sure we can make it to bold predictions. We're going to run through these next two potential transfers quickly so Anthony Fontana, who is now out of contract, he was an academy player for the Philadelphia Union, had a few appearances here and there for the team in MLS this season. He looks to be headed to Italy with Spezia and Venezia having been reported as teams that were interested. Guys, do you have anything on this Anthony Fontana to Italy transfer? It just seems odd to me. Like it, it very much feels the same as the Jack DeVries transfer. Or yeah. I think his might have been alone, but just a player that you know is in either the Philadelphia came out of the Philadelphia Academy. Fontana only amassed 350 minutes in in 2021 for Philly. Like it, it just blows my mind that that's the player that's going to go abroad. So it, he didn't score any goals, didn't have any assists, but you know I, as we've seen, Venezia and their American owner are doing everything they can to to build a squad over there, and I appreciate that for him, but. 
as 22 years old, he's, you know, too old to be going into like the Academy or a, a U19 or U20 side. So I'm, I'm just very curious to see where he fits in to their team. Um, you know, he's a center attacking midfielder, which, you know, we could see him potentially linking up with Busio in the middle there, but I just, I don't know that he's Siri already. This just seems so strange to me. This transfer is very weird because there's no journalist reporting it. The only reason we know it's happening is because his girlfriend <laughs> leaked on TikTok on New Year's Eve that it was happening in two days. So today we should he should have left. He's in Italy with whatever team it is. No one knows where. No one knows who's interested or why. He's got 13 goals all time for Philadelphia. So he's played and been solid in the midfield. But he doesn't really strike me as being a top five player right now and top five league player right now. So... It's got to be Serie B, but I, I don't understand where or why or what's happening with this transfer. What if, what if he's just going <laughs> backpacking to find himself? A little no, he, pray love and his, <laughs> his girlfriend was upset. Right? He was going I saw Italy. the video. She said she specifically said he starts a new contract with a new team in Italy in two days. Okay. All right. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I, I guess I got to create a TikTok account now. Yeah. You got to do it. And you'll yeah. feel very old. <laughs> All right. So the last one that we'll wrap up with is Fuller and Balogun, who is a U20 Arsenal product. He's currently the leading goal scorer in the U23 Premier League. He's a tri national, um, has played a lot for the English youth national team, but is very good friends with Yunus Musa and has mentioned playing for the U.S. a few times. He was born in New York City as well. So guys, looks like Middlesbrough might come calling for a half-year loan for the last six months of the English Championship. Balogun, to me, is one of the dark horses that could potentially come into the, the World Cup camp, um, maybe play some in the Nations League this summer or in some of the exhibition games and really make a name for himself. What do you guys think about Balogun and what you know about the English Championship? So I'll run through it quick, but, you know, just 20 years old, linked with Middlesbrough for the championship. Middlesbrough currently sit at seventh in the table, and they're only averaging 1.2 goals per game compared to Fulham, who has 2.2 goals per game. So, you know, they're they're lacking a little bit offensively. Um, so needing an offensive boost, the, the move totally makes sense to me. Uh, Bulligan has only gotten 70 minutes with Arsenal thus far. So he needs a move. He needs to start getting minutes. He's too good to be playing for their U23s. Uh, so I think this is the right move for him. I think what's interesting to me will be to watch how he adjusts to playing in the championship. We talked about why DK is going to excel there. Well, those are all the reasons that Bulligan may not excel there. He is a player that, you know, is, I think, challenged when players, when defenders rough him up a little bit. So I think this is the perfect move. Get him, you know, hopefully 500 minutes in the championship at the end of the year, have him strengthen that part of his game. And then also to the, see if he's, that can make him, with Aubameyang leaving, that should help him slide into potentially Arsenal's 23. Um, also, too, one other team that has been rumored to be interested in him as well, though, is Nottingham Forest. So he could be joining Horvath as well. Uh, well but as of right now, Middlesbrough is still the front runner. Interesting to see how it all rolls out. And Alex Mighton, another yeah. English oh, yeah, American yeah, yeah. dual national. Yeah. <laughs> now, no, I, I personally don't really care where he goes as long as he's getting minutes. I think that's more important for him than finding the perfect fit for his transfer right now. It's just, he's been so good for Arsenal's youth system. He kind of disappeared in their last cup match against Sunderland, but he still was on the pitch. He played a solid 50 minutes. Um, he's got so much potential and yeah, I think Jake's right that he could really contribute to the U S if he really finds a run of form. So I just want to see him playing first team minutes somewhere. And the championship seems as good a spot as any to send him to sort of see what he's got. Yeah, he, he's another part of that numbers game that mm -hmm. I'm trying to just commit <laughs> to our striker pool. Someone's yeah. got to come out on top by the time we get to the World Cup. All right, guys, it is time for our 2022 bold predictions. For anyone listening, we haven't told each other what our bold predictions are. <laughs> so we'll see how bold we get. But who wants to start? Who wants to kick us off? Gotta be Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, yeah, I'll go for it. So... Yeah, sure. Why not? So everyone's favorite whipping boy right now, Josh Sargent. Everybody wants to talk about how he can't Ooh. get off his night. He's going bold. <laughs> so as Norwich gets healthy, they start to be a team that can actually move the ball through the midfield and they're not just playing defense all the time. 
Josh Sargent gets on the plane and goes to Qatar in 2022. That is bold, but realistic. Kind of what happened. Kind of I say yes, I agree with you, but he goes as a midfielder, not a striker. I, I've, you know, I've seen so much of that, but I, I still, I, you know, I'll fully admit, maybe I am hanging on too much to from everything that I saw from him in youth camps, but this guy used to be so clinical in the box, and I think it's still in his locker. He's still capable. He is a great number nine. Just needs to get in form. Uh, you know, obviously right now, Norwich is, or Norwich is absolutely horrendous to watch. It's, it may even be harder than Bremen was. Because um, at least Bremen created two or three decent scoring opportunities a game. Norwich often, it, it's pretty tough. But I really think it's just a matter of them getting healthy in a little bit of time. Uh, if, if you go look at, say, like Fatmod, for instance, and just go scroll underneath and see how many players they have injured, it's, it's astonishing. So there's quality in that side. And that's what Sargent and his agent saw when they chose Norwich. And I, I still think that they, they made the right decision. It's just been a very, very rough start for them. So if I even want to up, since you said it's even possible and I need to go even one step further, let's go bold predictions. Josh Sargent A goes to Qatar. Josh Sargent scores the first goal for the United States in the World Cup. <laughs> How about that? Amazing. Let's, Great. Let, I, I love it. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I'm all aboard a Sergeant Redemption Tour in 2022. I mean, why not? If we're going to go big, let's go big. And I, <laughs> Let's go big. Jake, you think it's possible? No. <laughs> if, if you had, like, honestly, it's crazy because if you had asked me that two weeks ago, I was still on the Sergeant train. And I'm just like, I'm giving up at this point. <laughs> His last one was really rough. Yeah, I'm yeah. giving him hope. He looked depressed. Yeah, I, I'm doing kind of a reverse psychology on the universe. Like maybe <laughs> okay. if I give up on Josh Sargent, he'll come back and redeem himself. But like at this point, I'm not hanging any of my hopes on Josh Sargent coming back. I, like he's off my list as possible strikers at the moment. But I'd love to yeah. see it happen. Obviously, I'd love to see that happen. Yeah, for me, I'm here for, for it. me, all it takes is a couple of goals. <laughs> Bring a couple players back to where he's actually getting fed some decent service. Yeah. And we're going to see that Josh Sargent that we all know is in there. I mean, I will say this. Like, if you watch Pulisic today, horrible for 30 minutes, gets a goal, becomes the best player for 50 minutes. Yeah. Like, maybe that is what's missing for Josh Sargent. Just needs yeah. a goal and becomes a completely different player. 2022 is going to be the year of Josh Sargent. You heard it here first. Okay. Okay. We'll come okay. back to this at the end of the year. <laughs> Tom, what yep. is your bold yeah, prediction? Yes. My bold, bold prediction, if the U.S. stays healthy, they not only qualify for the World Cup, they top their group and make the quarterfinals. All right. Top the group in the World Cup. It, yeah, top the World Cup group and make the quarterfinals. So, yeah, there's so many moving parts to that that it's it's <laughs> tough to shoot that one down because, I mean, for instance, right now, A, we've got to qualify, but B, we don't know the group, so mm-hmm. we could end up, if we end up in a group of death and that happens, then that is a super bold prediction. <laughs> and I love it. And, and I'm here for it. But, you know, if we happen, if we do dominate the rest of qualifying, get in, get a good seed and we like to where we're one of the number one seeds and end up with a group that, you know, is a, you know, a handful of other teams that just barely qualified, then, you know, that's, that's not as bold. So interesting to see, I think I'd love to revisit this. Once A, we've qualified, and B, the the groups are chosen. We have to remember that we did this. (laughs) That'll be first. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have to go back and watch these again, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah, Um, like everyone's that's in pot two is going to be hoping, or I guess just everyone that qualifies is going to be hoping that they get the group with Qatar. So could be that could be like Qatar, US, I don't know, Slovenia, and. Senegal like then we're talking that's that's a tough group still though I mean tough group but not the worst it's the world cup um, you know every yeah. group should be tough yeah yeah but if we if we stay in pot two and get you know Belgium and a good pot three team like things can go south very quickly yeah end up with Belgium and Argentina or something like right that. or Belgium yeah, yeah. <laughs> Argentina and their pot one there's some really solid European squads though in pot three 
that would be not fun to play against. But we got shafted in 2014. Like, actually shafted with our World Cup. There's no way they do it to us again. Oh, don't don't say that, Tom. <laughs> um, also, you, you made the disclaimer at the beginning of if we stayed healthy, this could happen. That's... I mean, that's got to be number one for us. You mentioned 11s don't win it, 23s and 30s do. We don't have the best track record when it comes to our team and injuries, especially at critical times. Yeah, I feel like a bold enough prediction alone would just be the USMNT starting 11 stays healthy. Yeah, that would be a bold prediction. Yeah. That, that would be a bold prediction. All right, are you guys ready, ready for mine? Let's hear it. All right, so mine is the U.S. men's national team. Let's get it. They will not lose another game in World Cup qualifying and will squeeze into pot one for the World Cup draw. Dang. I love it, man. Six Uh, games left in World Cup qualifying. We have the away game against Canada and Mexico coming up. I don't think we lose any more games in World Cup qualifying. Wow. So you're saying saying tie or win in Canada and Mexico? Tie or win. And in Costa Rica. And in Costa Rica, all six games. Yeah, Costa Rica would be a big one just because we've never done it before. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's that's a very solid, bold take. Uh, yeah. I think, you know, obviously the, the Canada game is going to be one of the more concerning ones for me. You know, A, respect you to Canada. They've been very, very good so far in qualifying. Um, but, you know, we're not going to have a lot of players that are getting regular minutes at the time. But to that point, Canada really isn't going to have a ton either. They're going to be kind of a little bit in the same situation. Uh, so that that game is going to be the big one for me. And I think where we literally stamp our CONCACAF dominance is if we walk out of Azteca with three points. That would be insane. Ooh, that would, would... be banana. Yeah. <laughs> mm, you would not be able to shut me up for weeks. Yeah, bold <laughs> prediction. Yeah, I, th- that... I feel like that should be bold prediction 2.0 is, I'll, I'll say it right now, <laughs> we're walking out of Azteca with three points. Nice. That would be our record-breaking podcast and <laughs> video view. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Heck, I'll say go one further and say we walk out of the last qualifying window with nine. Wow. I really opened a can of worms here. You guys are getting way <laughs> too confident. <laughs> no, I think we could do it. I really think that we could do that, um, especially if all of our players are healthy, if we're playing in form, if we have Pepe, DK, if we have strikers that are scoring goals. If we have Pulisic in form, if we have a Rain defense that can continue. Yeah, we've given up, I think, the second least amount of goals in World Cup qualifying so far. Our team that, is here to stay. There's also another element to that that March window where that's going to be during CONCACAF Champions League. So all the MLS guys are going to be getting their share of CONCACAF experience as we go because they'll be playing these away games in Mexico and in Honduras and Costa Rica to get ready for that window. So that's another huge part that could really work in our favor as we go into that last window. I mean, there might not be any MLS players left if this transfer window keeps up <laughs> that are going to be part of the national team going forward. Heck, Matt Turner has rumors surrounding him, which is out of left field. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we're, we're going to get to this next episode and there's going to be seven more transfers that have been <laughs> confirmed. But that's good for us. There's lots to talk about. <laughs> Let's hope so. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, so we made it through our bold predictions. I think, for the most part, quite bold, but could happen. Could absolutely happen. We've made it through all the transfers that have happened and the rumors that are coming up. So here we are at last word. Let's go through. Tom, what is your last word for this episode? My last word is just try and stay safe, everyone. It's been a very crazy week here in our household. A lot of very scary health stuff has been happening, so... You know, it's not the time to be taking any unnecessary risks. Stay home as much as you can. If you haven't yet, please get vaccinated. The emergency rooms are just crushed. It's very hard to get treated even for routine things. So, you know, it's kind of a scary time right now. Hopefully we'll get through it in one piece here in the next few weeks. So just a very, very stressful part of life. And, you know, do as much as you can to keep yourself safe. How about you, yeah, definitely. Um, I'm just going to touch on, yeah, I did quite a deep dive for this. So just the, a couple other transfers that if you guys want to hit us up in the comments to talk about it, we try to keep this around an hour. So we don't want to go on too long. Um, other like moderately, I guess, bold transfer could be, I think John Brooks gets a move, not necessarily in winter, but definitely during the summer, he's got to get out of there. 
other players that need moves. Otisawe, Hoppy, Reynolds, Cannon, Sands, Bassett, and Alan Sonora. <laughs> All those guys. Like, I think are guys that could be – could make – Huge leaps and bounds in their game if they could just get into the right situation. Very talented players for all of them. So if there's any of those guys that I mentioned that you would kind of want to chat about, hit me up. But again, Brooks, Odesawi, Hoppy, Reynolds, Cannon, Sands, Bassett, and Sonora. Sonora is the biggest one, man. I think he's the most under like, underrated like at USMNT player that we have right now that is absolutely ripping it up right now in Argentina. Uh, it's hard to get any views on any of those games, but if you can find your way on some sort of back channel, do yourself a favor and check out his game. He's, he's been absolutely doing amazing things. Yeah, I think we'll we'll have to talk about James Sands at some point, rumors surrounding him going to Rangers in the Scottish Premiership. So again, there's gonna be lots to talk about as we go through the transfer window. Um, guys, my last word is just, thank you so much. Thank you so much to these two. I came to them asking if they were okay changing it from Yanks Go Talking to the FIFA America podcast. We are doing a ton this year with the FIFA America channel. So to have these guys, to have a team surrounding us to grow as much as possible and get us to the World Cup as one of the premier USMNT channels, it means the world. Um, so you guys as a community as well mean <laughs> that you have to like the video, subscribe to the channel and share this with as many USMNT fans as possible. Brian, you had your hand up. You had one last, last word. Yeah, just be sure to check us out on uh, the FIFA America handle on Twitter. Right now, we are doing a giveaway for like, follow, and retweet. So please be sure to check that out on Twitter. Do yourself a favor. Put your, na put your name in the hat to win a free USMNT kit. Heck yeah. There we go. Plugging away already. <laughs> All right. Love it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Thanks to Tom and Ryan for blessing us with their presence and talking through the transfers and bold predictions. And we will see everyone next week on the FIFA America, FIFA America podcast. See you guys. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.